You're listening to episode five of Eight Minute Movies, Knives Eight, a podcast talking about the 2019 movie Knives Out in eight minute chunks, presented by me, Kieran, and the other guy, Peter. This is a sequential podcast that contains serious spoilers for Knives Out. So you should go and watch Knives Out first before listening to it. Just fucking do it for once. And you should start the podcast with episode one of season three. That's what you should do. Hello, Peter. How are oh, you doing? Hello. Gosh, I'm still reeling from that screamed greeting that you did at the <laughs> beginning. Just shriek that hello, why don't you? Yeah, I, 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 well. <laughs> uh, hopefully, if anyone had fallen asleep while listening to the last <laughs> podcast, they'll be wide awake now for the next bit. I'm doing this podcast in the style of Brian Blessed. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Shall I talk about something I've been consuming lately? Gordon's alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I've been playing the latest re-release of the Stanley Parable. You said consuming, like, mm. like you didn't eat it. You you know played it i i mean in uh the sense of being a consumer of media you figuratively consumed it i i did and yeah i, I think it just means more than one thing yeah that's true um yeah the stanley parable if you don't know what the stanley parable is then and this is stuff that all becomes apparent in the first few minutes, so I don't think it's too spoilery to say. Uh, it's a, it, it's kind of a story, a narrated story where you play a character called Stanley who has this uh, boring office job and then notices that all of his co-workers are gone uh, one day and then... Uh, the narrator tells a little story about what you do about that. And uh, the the gimmick of it is that uh, at various points, you can choose to go against the narrator's wishes about what you do, and the narrator will react to that. And there's a lot of back and forth between the choices that you're making and the things that the narrator is saying, and uh, just a whole load of nar uh, narration. Um, by uh, someone called Kevin Brighting, I think is his name, who does a really good job of uh, of carrying this character through the whole game. There's loads and loads and loads of dialogue in it, uh, or monologue, I guess. Hmm. Um, and it's just, uh, apart from that, it's just very funny. It's just a kind of uh, amusing exploration about what it means to make choices in games and that sort of thing and sometimes it's just silly as well uh and uh and, and just off offbeat and surprising and it's just very well uh written and and it originally uh started out as a half-life 2 mod i think mm. uh but uh they made a proper version of it, like a standalone version of it, in 2013. And uh, now they have re-released it again with a bunch of extra stuff in it. Uh, probably a good few hours of extra stuff in it, actually. Uh, 
for uh, for for this re-release that's been redone in a new engine. It it looks about the same as before with a it, it's got slightly better lighting, but it's not much different from before. But it's got all of this extra stuff that they've added into it as well. So it's kind of the the new definitive version of it. And I really enjoyed all the new stuff and think it's uh, think it's really good. Did you this is it? the uh, this is the ultra deluxe edition. Yes, the latest Danny one. Parable ultra deluxe. Did you play it? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, do you mean in ge- do you mean in general or the ultra deluxe edition? Did you play the older version? I played the old version, and um, my strongest memory about it is that one point it sort of turns into Minecraft for a little bit. Uh, yeah, there's a joke where yeah. uh, they 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 change games at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I'd annoyed the narrator a lot at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I, I do remember playing through and getting oh, like half a dozen endings or so. Um, I don't yeah, think I got all of them. There's lots of different endings that you can find depending on what you do, um, and they've uh, added some more stuff along those lines as well in this uh, in this new one. So there's different things to do and different surprises, and uh, they've probably actually added about at, well at least the same amount of narration as was in the original game again yeah. um but i can't really go into why without kind of spoiling the main thing about what they've added so like at, at the risk of turning this into like uh um uh, a gaming tips podcast um, uh, there's an achievement you can get for it on Steve. On Steve, yeah, on Steve. Um, Steve Games. Um, he's a mm. he's a programmer. Um, on Steam, where you don't play the game for five years, mm. and you get an achievement for that. And um, yes. and I've not got the achievement for that, and I haven't played that game in fucking ages. I'm very annoyed. <laughs> I think you have to launch the game <laughs> after five years. You can't just not play it. Oh, oh! It's like a, it's like a when you come back to it kind of deal. Yes. Uh, good news though, they've uh, done another version of that achievement for the new game. Ten years. Ten yeah. years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. That's how I know because I saw people talking about it. <laughs> oh, um. Oh, is is it exciting podcasting if I install it from Steam now and launch it? Uh, I mean, maybe. Do you want to see if you can get the achievement? All right. All right. Let's 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 pop that chivo. All right. Uh. <laughs> uh, um, well, this is riveting stuff. It's in your st- play now. Yeah, come on, play now. Mm-hmm. All right, creating local game files, preparing for install, allocating disk space. Oh, downloading. This is going to be great. Twenty percent. Thirty percent. Don't you have a fast little internet connection? Uh, My my pipe is the fattest I can get, baby. (laughs) Fifty percent. I installed a game off Steam the other day, and like the download took like a minute, and the patching took like forty-five. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Well, good for you. There's a there's a bottleneck somewhere. Uh, at seventy percent. Okay, right. I'm on the edge of my seat. Uh, Me too, but for different reasons. Mm. 80%. Any second now, it's going to be 90%. It, it was. When you said that, it went to 90%. Mm. 97. 
99. Okay, it's done. Okay. Okay, okay, now it's installing. Great. Hope this doesn't crash your PC. Okay, it's installed. Steam has finished downloading the Stanley Parable. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right, let's see, let's see if we can pop that Chivo, as all the right. kids are always saying. It does sound like a horrible sex thing. Uh, play. Synchronizing Steam Cloud. Oh. Oh, my screen resolution has changed. I hope that hasn't killed Discord. Here we go. Achievement unlocked. Go outside. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Go outside. <laughs> Exit game. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the first time in history anyone has ever gotten a Steam achievement while recording a podcast. Uh, uh, I'm not confident enough to say that, but that <laughs> might be the first time that anyone's got that particular <laughs> achievement why, while why, recording a podcast. Why must you belittle my achievements in this fashion, Peter? <laughs> um, you, you, you know this is my life's greatest work. <laughs> look, you don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need it. <laughs> you don't. So, yeah, so... Um, Oh, now that now that I've got that nightmare out of the way, I might check out the Ultra Deluxe Edition. Um, it's it's pretty good. I recommend it if you remember anything about the uh, previous game and uh, and feel like revisiting some of that. It's cool, and it asks you at the beginning actually uh, whether you've played the Stanley Parable before. Mm. And the I, I I'm not sure, but I think the reason it probably asks you that is because it'll kind of shuffle you towards the new stuff a bit faster if you yeah. played it before um whereas it will kind of delay revealing that to you a, a bit later on if you if this is your first time around yeah it's weird that the stanley parable has become like a huge thing because um oddly and serendipitously quite recently i replayed uh dr langeskov the tiger and the terribly cursed emerald a whirlwind heist mm. and Yes, I did have to look the name up, <laughs> uh, which is a, a game also by the same guy who um, worked on, well, who did in entirety the Stanley Parable. Yeah. Uh, he set up a new game studio called Crows, Crows, Crows. Yes. Which um, is, that's probably the first time I've said it out loud, and it's actually quite hard to say mm. uh, three times in a row. Um, but yeah, this was like a free game in the same sort of vein as the Stanley Parable. Yeah, where, it's, um, it's got some similarities, hasn't it? Yeah, the, the, the vibe is like, um, you are going to play a game, an online game called Dr. Langeskov, the Tiger and the Terribly Cursed Emerald, a whirlwind heist. And um, when you start the game, you find that you're in like a little waiting room uh, for, for playing the game. And uh, you, you ring a buzzer and someone comes to talk to you and they're like, oh, um, no, there's somebody already playing the game at the moment. Um, but if you want to help out behind the scenes while they're playing it, um, then then you can play it when they're done. So yeah, you end up sort of getting drafted into going behind the scenes of this game and operating all the equipment while the, the other player goes through everything. It's a really fun idea. Yeah. And it, it's got a lot of cool world building going with um, uh, basically the reason you're helping out is that all of the other employees have gone on strike due to the terrible working conditions. <laughs> <laughs> and also the uh, the high likelihood of being eaten by the tiger that they keep backstage. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's kind of fun, and it's uh, I, I think as you say, it's free. So if you if you play that and you like the vibe, then you you may well like the Stanley Parable as well because it's uh, a kind of it's got some similar ideas, but it, mm. it's kind of more expansive. I mean, it's interesting to me that, that for a free game, it's it's got some real famous voice talent in it. Like the narrator person from this is Simon Anstel. Yeah, uh, uh, and there are like director's commentary kind of tapes scattered well they're not really tapes scattered around the place but they're all performed by justin roiland the um the guy from rick and morty (laughs) yeah (laughs) just like a weirdly high budget voice acting for an entirely free game yeah it's well done, like mm. uh, the and so is the narration in the the Stanley Parable as well. It's just really, just really nicely done all the mm. way through. Alec Mir of Rock Paper Shotgun wrote that the game was charming, even infectious. Yes, I am on the Wikipedia article because I had to look up what the name of the game was. Mm. I was like Doctor Langaskov and the Tiger. I I got like five words out of the fourteen <laughs> word title. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a good game. They 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 are it's a good genre. I like games where um they subvert what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. Um which is why I don't like Undertale. <laughs> <laughs> he finished awkwardly. Uh Peter, let's talk at length about Undertale, a game you haven't played. Uh no, I I have played it actually. I just I I've had a number of full starts with it. It feels mm. like something that I should really enjoy a lot, mm. but I have never quite managed to get past the, the the game part. Yeah, the my I've played Undertale from start to finish, and the way I did it was by using Cheat Engine to lock my health at one hundred percent because absolutely fuck bullet hell shooters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, not a chance. <laughs> anyway, how have you been doing? Uh, and uh, have you been perhaps consuming something? Uh, I have been doing fine. Um, and and I I have been consuming books like Woodworm. Mm. Mm. I mm, surely bookworms. Uh, yeah, I realized after I said it that I probably should have said bookworms. Mm. Um, but then I woodworm would eat books too. I mean, wood is just degenerate paper, right? Uh, maybe a not very picky woodworm would go for a book. You think like a, like a, 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 a woodworm that's really let itself go would eat a book. It's like you know when you're at the you're getting some sandwich meats for home and you you want to get the nice kind of chunky fancy ham but sometimes uh, all that's available is that kind of more processed kind of abstract ham. <laughs> that's that's uh, what a book is to a woodworm. Can we make a game called Abstract Ham? <laughs> <laughs> Let's workshop the details. 
Look, I know it wasn't really the right word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's abstracted ham. Uh, I, lo- I love the idea that you could be spending a little extra on uh, on a real ham, but you've uh, you've gone and wasted your money on that darn abstract ham again. Yeah, it's you come like- home. All I wanted was a sandwich, and you brought home the concept of ham. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just the idea of ham that's been packaged. <laughs> Oh, we open it and then you get like a faint gust of porkiness and it's just gone. Oh, faint smack of ham. <laughs> um, I've been rereading uh, Charles Stross's The Laundry Files books. Um, that's that's my that's my consumption for this podcast. All um, right, tell me about them. I know a little bit about them, but I've never really read one. So they are um, books that explore the British secret agency called the Laundry, right? Mm-hmm. Which um, is called that because it, when it first opened in 1945, it was above a Chinese laundry in Soho, and uh, since moved. But it was spun off as a a, a division of SOE, uh, the Special Operations Executive, during the Second World War to deal with paranormal threats. Um, okay. And the book series starts off by following our protagonist, who's called Bob Howard, who uh, was accidentally recruited to the... Basically, if you do something uh, or see something supernatural, the laundry recruits you forcibly right. um, and then puts what they call a gesh, which is like a magical compulsion on you to not spill the beans <laughs> about what you've seen. Mm-hmm. But, if you, but if you turn out to be useful, then they keep you around. Um, and Bob slowly goes from being like a, uh, a low tier underling in the laundry to one of their preliminary operatives, uh, not solely because, um, the laundry are dealing with something called case nightmare green, which is where, um, the area of space, the earth is traveling through, it has become, uh, more favorable to magic being casted, which means that in Lovecraftian terms, the stars are right, and like all horrible monsters from other dimensions are going to come boiling out of the woodwork any day now. Um, right, because this is sort of Lovecraft adjacent yeah. sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's all it's all cosmic horror uh, going through portals to terrible otherworldly places. Mm. Uh, they are really, they're really entertaining books. Um, the thing I'm not mad about some of them is um, they're they're supposed to be like a cross between uh, pa- you know, paranormal horror and oh, isn't it terrible working in the civil service? Aren't your managers bad? But they kind of move away from that a little bit in the later books. So does the kind is, does it have the problem that I, I guess some series have where the the plot just ends up thickening so much that it kind of takes over things and you lose a bit of the tone um i i, I would say no actually i mean there are 11 books at the moment and like i say i'm, I'm rereading because i've i've fallen off the wagon that's not the right thing <laughs> there's, there's like um there's like three i haven't read i think and uh, I'm rereading that, and they're just—they're just absolute bangers. They're just real page turners. Mm. Um, uh, Charles Stross has a real knack for writing this stuff, but also for involving stuff that happens in the real world. Um, 
and given it like a little supernatural twist. Like the second book is called the Jennifer Morgue. Um, okay. and part of the plot revolves around, um, what was called a uh, project Jennifer or project Azorian in, um, in the seventies where they used a, uh, the U S government via, well, the CIA secretly funded a billionaire to build a, like, like a, a big boat that could with a grabby claw on the bottom that could pick things up from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Howard Hughes, it was the, the, the boat was called the Hughes Gloma Explorer. And, um, he put out a press release saying that he'd found deposits of copper, like just as metallic copper on the bottom of the ocean. Mm. And he would be using his claw to pick them up and it would devalue like the copper market because there was so much of this lovely copper. And mm. it was all a lie. They just knew where a, um, a, a Russian K2 submarine had sunk and they wanted to grab it with this grabby claw, <laughs> bring it up to the surface and see what it was inside it. And Weird. yeah, it was just this, yeah, it's just this tremendously complicated and silly Cold War plot. But then in, in the Jennifer Morgue, they put like a supernatural spin on it that makes it even more interesting. It actually blew, it's such a silly idea that it blew my mind when I read the book and later found out that Project Azorian was real. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, a real thing people sunk trillions of dollars into. <laughs> I like it when you find out that a thing is based on a real thing. Yeah. Uh, like um I I mentioned to you just before the um uh, uh j- j- just before we started recording that I've been watching a bit of uh, our flag means death. Mm. Uh and I don't want to don't want to go into it right now cuz I'm still going through it, but um I was just uh, browsing Wikipedia earlier and was delighted to find out that uh, Steed Bonnet was also a real person. I knew that Blackbeard was a real person, but I didn't realize that Steed Bonnet was a real person. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fictionalized version, and that they really met and did some of the stuff that's that's talked about in the show. So, like, it's a fictionalized version of their real events. Like Steed, yeah. Steed Bonnet was a was a rich Barbadian man who just decided one day that he was bored being at home with his wife and kids, and decided to go and be a pirate <laughs> like yeah. like peter fucking pan <laughs> but, but yes I, I think that it's uh I, I think it's always cool when you realize that something <laughs> that's in some sort of story has has some basis mm. in reality and I, I didn't actually know that about the um uh the laundry stuff that some of that stuff weaves in real events as well i, I didn't really realize that yeah, he he tries to do that wherever possible. I think, and sometimes more successfully than others. But the the Jennifer Morgue stuff is fantastic. It's like it's one of my favorite books, actually. Mm. Um, the whole thing is written as a pastiche of a James Bond novel. Um, okay, and it's it, it's really good. It's it's really well done. Um, if you want to check one of them out, do the Jennifer Morgue because um, it's like a fully self-contained story, and they explain anything that you would have missed from book one anyway. So uh, um, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do that. I do have a plan. I had, do have a book plan actually. I have not a started book, a reading. book plan. Uh, yeah, I, it's been a while since I've uh, I, I've read anything actually, but um, uh, I have got I have obtained a book and I intend to read it. Well, well, yeah. good, good for you. Yeah, and uh, the book that I have obtained and intend to read is 
On Stranger Tides. Oh, On Stranger Tides. Yeah. Mm. That, that, the story of that book and how it relates to the Pirates of the Caribbean does my head in. (laughs) I'm sure all of that's very noteworthy and interesting, (laughs) but just to be clear, the reason that I am getting it is because Mm. it is one of the original uh, inspirations for the thing we talked about before, The Secret of Monkey Island. Oh, don't get me wrong. I didn't think you were buying it for the Pirates of the Caribbean thing. I definitely knew it was the Monkey Island connection. Well, it's it's not only that though. But as uh, he added defensively, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, related to what we were just talking about, it also heavily features uh, uh, Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard. Oh, really? I didn't (laughs) know that. Uh, which I found out by reading the Wikipedia page for, um, I think, Steed Bonnet. So it's it, it's to do with all sorts of things that I'm interested in lately. So I thought it's time to read it. I sh- I don't know how I've avoided reading it before, so I'm going to do it. I, I have to I have to check it out actually because it's it it does sound good. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna relate the uh the Pirates of the Caribbean thing from memory, which might be completely wrong. So okay. you can correct me if you know it, or the listeners can write in. Uh, so he wrote this book called On Stranger Tides, right? And On Stranger Tides is the inspiration for the original Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Um, then. The Pirates of the Caribbean ride became was the inspiration for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, and then there were several Pirates of the Caribbean movies until there's one called On Stranger Tides, which is indirectly connected to the plot of the book. So it's this it's this weird come full circle kind of deal. <laughs> this thing becomes even more complicated when you find <laughs> out that. Uh, some years ago, there was a plan for a film based on uh, the Secret of Monkey Island, <laughs> uh, which, of course, was based on both the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and On Stranger, on Stranger Tides. Tides. <laughs> uh, and that at some point, uh, some people from Disney came round to visit and saw all of the work that was being done on this <laughs> pitch for the Monkey Island film and some of what ended up in Pirates of the Caribbean ended up seeming <laughs> remarkably similar to what they had planned for that film. So there are some kind, there are some conspiracy oh theories that maybe it, 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 it cribbed a lot from that as well. So, <laughs> so it's all a mess. And, um, and of course, famously, um, on Stranger Tides is the subject of an ontological paradox where, uh, uh, nobody knows where the first copy of the book actually came from, uh, and it's it's believed to have fallen through a window for, through time, uh, back from the future to the point where it was first created and then published. Yeah, um, so it's it's one of those books that nobody actually wrote. <laughs> oh God, um, let's move on. <laughs> Introduce the concept, but fast. So this is a podcast where we have broken the movie Knives Out into eight-minute chunks, and we're talking about those little chunks. And um, that's it. That, I thought there was more to that sentence, but there wasn't. Um, we also have bells. Ding your bell, Peter. Uh, shit. 
Where is it? There it is. Alright, okay, hang on. Dinging it. One second. Ding. <laughs> Alright. Um, and uh, we ding the bell should any of the uh, death phrases be uttered, which this season include... Um, what, what was it? Was it out? I can't remember. Uh, out and thing. Oh, yes. Okay, good. I, I do like the way you said that, like um, you were on Sesame Street. That was good. Um, yeah, although you... <laughs> on Sesame Street, they don't tend to go, and today our death words uh, <laughs> Sesame Street brought to you by the letters uh, A and C. And, and, and the, the invocation <laughs> the invocation of Al-Hazard. Um, <laughs> um, although you may have a slight tactical advantage this episode, Peter, in that I cannot find my bell. Well, good. I um should should the need arise, should you say any of the death words, uh I sh- shall simply say ding loudly like a fucking imbecile. <laughs> uh, good, good. I th- I think this introduced the concept but fast thing is working out well, don't don't you? This is great. If you've joined at this point, we're sorry. <laughs> um th- so, uh, this part of our, our well-rehearsed and excellent show is called Let's Not Talk About The Thing, where I talk about something that's tangentially related in some way to the film. What am I talking about today, Peter? I'll give you a clue. It's not a person, and it's really self-indulgent. Uh, are you just going to talk about the concept of knives in general, like the history <laughs> of knives? Look... Far be it from me to play into your deranged fantasies that I'm some sort of knife-wielding lunatic, but um, I woke up this morning and there were three pairs of scissors in my bed. <laughs> See, look, I don't need to, I'm, I'm not causing this in any way. He's just bringing it upon himself. <laughs> I, it, in my defence... I'm doing spring cleaning, and they must have just got left there by accident. Mm. I, too, do my spring cleaning with uh, multiple pairs of scissors. (laughs) I was cutting up boxes! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, if I talk about a knife I like, do you think I can get them to sponsor us? Uh, I don't know, like... There are Japanese companies. Does that does that help? Do you reckon? Do you reckon the language barrier might help? Uh, do uh, do the knife companies want to be associated with knives as murder weapon? Oh, oh, yeah, that's a. <laughs> mm. oh. Well, well, well. It's 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 called a canary knife, right? And and it's it's got serrated rounded edges, so you can use it to cut boxes without cutting yourself. Mm. And it's it's really good. I, I have one. I use it a lot. Um, I've only cut myself four times on it. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, but that, that those times were probably due to my hubris. <laughs> I've probably cut myself no times in <laughs> my life with a may, like maybe very mildly less than four times. I would say in my life mm. with, with with a knife. And and you say this is a knife designed not <laughs> to cut yourself with. Well, 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 yes, but um, I 
uh, I'm not coming off well in this, am I? <laughs> well, I mean, I think my main concern is that the canary knife or whatever mm. is is not coming across well, and you <laughs> were thinking they might sponsor us. You're like, uh, yeah, they might sponsor us. So I've been using this great canary knife. It's designed not to cut yourself, and I only did it four times yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this this is four times over two years of using it. There you go. That's, okay, right. that's 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 once every six months. All right. And I and I use it a lot, and um, and and it, I, yeah, it was it was probably just hubris that made me cut myself because I was like, haha, I can't cut myself with this knife, and then I was like, ow. But they were very shallow cuts that healed quickly. Um, oh my this, god, is this, is this, 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 a, this... <laughs> has this knife created a sort of paradox where because you are not expected to be uh, cut <laughs> by the knife, you are more reckless with the knife, and therefore there are more canary knife related accidents than there would be with regular knives after after this episode i'm going to cut this section out and i'm going to email it to, to whoever makes the canary knife and i'm going to ask if they want to sponsor us after this yeah. re- after receiving this glowing review it, yeah. it cuts up boxes really well it really good at cutting up boxes and most of the time it doesn't hurt you if you're if you don't forget that it's a deadly weapon no i can't say it's a deadly weapon they mm. won't sponsor us <sighs> this whole thing has been ill-conceived. They they should have called it the danger knife, and then it would have been safe. This is why Noah wants to sponsor us. <laughs> uh, what am I talking about, Peter? Um, it's not it's not the abstract concept of knife. Well, I mean, in many ways it has been knives that you've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Despite everything I did to try and stop you from talking about knives, you, you went and did it anyway. What is a scissor if not a pair of knives? Move on. <laughs> Let let's go. Talk, let's talk about Clue. Do you know Clue? I do know Clue. Mm. Clue is a 1985 American black comedy mystery film based on the board game, which is called Cluedo if you're everywhere that's not America, and Clue if you are. Directed by Jonathan Lynn, who co-wrote the script with John Landis, it stars the ensemble cast of Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, who, Peter, you probably remember as... Uh, an actor. From the film... Back to the future. Yeah, there you go. In which he plays... Marty Mc... No. That's right, yes. Uh, Marty McBrown. I know who he is. (laughs) Come on, don't patronise me. (laughs) Michael McKean, Martin Mull, and Leslie Ann Warren. The film's matte paintings were done by Albert Whitlock, who you might remember, Peter, also worked on... Uh, I... God, I don't know, probably like The Thing. The Thing, that's right, yeah. If you've just said The Thing confidently, um, yeah, yeah. I'd probably I mean, just agreed with you. That's the answer to 50% of film <laughs> trivia that you give me. So. <laughs> Do you, are you saying I'm biased in some way? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's probably true. Hmm. Inspired by the nature of the board game, the film's initial release featured various different endings with one of the three possibilities sent to different movie theatres. Home media releases include all three endings presented sequentially. The film initially received mixed reviews and did poorly at the box office, grossing $14.6 million in the USA against its budget of $15 million, but later developed a considerable cult following. 
I'm I'm a cult. I'm a cult. Mm. A cult a cultist for this movie. Um uh, that's a weird way of putting it. I like this film. That's that's better. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's let's stick with that. Yeah. I feel on much safer ground now. <laughs> I'm a cultist. Um I mean and you I do like knives. Approximately the number of knives <laughs> that a cultist might have. <laughs> For their various rituals, uh, for yeah, for the for the canary knife people, I want to point out you cannot use a canary knife to perform a ritual because it has a rounded end, so you can't get that through the breastplate. Mm. Yeah, you'd have to put a lot of force into it. You probably could. Mm. Yeah, let's move on. Um, Carrie Fisher was originally contracted to play Miss Scarlet, but withdrew to enter treatment for drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, her checkered history after playing Leia, unfortunately. Jonathan Lynn's first choice for the role of Wadsworth the butler was Leonard Rossiter, but he died before filming commenced. The second choice was Rowan Atkinson, but it was decided that he wasn't well-known enough at the time, so Tim Curry was eventually cast. I feel like Rowan Atkinson would have probably done a fine job at it, but it would have had quite a different feel overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tim Curry is an excellent actor, and he sure can play someone who is going progressively more insane as the film goes on. <laughs> that's that's sort of his oeuvre, isn't it? I mean, he that's that's what he's doing in Clue and uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I guess, and, and Home Alone, Home Alone 2, 2, Lost in New York. Lost yeah. in New York, and, uh, oh, fuck, there was another one I thought of, um, and then I got distracted, distracted by saying oeuvre. <laughs> like the idea you got destructed by it as well <laughs> the shadow that was it the shadow he also plays someone who goes progressively more bonkers as the movie goes on mm. uh, i really like the shadow but no one else likes the shadow listeners if you like the shadow from 1994 write in and tell me and uh back me up i've never seen it but i could say i like it um hang on i'm go- i'm googling when it came out Talk amongst yourself. Uh, hey, uh, it was like nineteen. That's... It was. It was. It was nineteen ninety four. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. It's got Tim Curry in it. Alec Baldwin, Ian McKellen. Good film. Mm. Uh, it received mixed reviews and was a commercial failure. <laughs> <laughs> like so many of the things that you like. Yeah, I know, I know, right? <laughs> the question is, are you wrong? Um, no, it is it is the children who are wrong, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh yeah, Tim Curry, uh, great in that as well. Uh I I saw Clue first on on a on a VHS cassette, Peter. Wow. I uh I, I I bought it with my with my pocket money. <laughs> mm. I uh, you've shown me Clue a bunch of times. Yeah, I almost think, certainly. Uh, I think I I do enjoy it. I, th- I think it's really good. I think I would probably have stronger feelings about it if it had been one of those ones that I'd grown up with a bit. Mm. Uh, as it is, it was not. It just wasn't something that I really in, in, encountered as uh, as a child and so i didn't didn't really have that that, that kind of nostalgic connection with it but oh yeah that's I, that, that's definitely part of it for me i i definitely feel like if i'd grown up with it i uh, at the time i probably would have been super into it 
there's a yeah there's a, there's a there's a, a lot of sections from that movie that I can just repeat verbatim um, and, and you do <laughs> and I do there's a there's a particularly funny section at the end where they're trying to work out how many times a gun has been fired uh, whether it was a uh, one plus one plus two plus one or one plus two plus one plus one <laughs> and and they, they get increasingly confused trying to figure it out. Um, do you want to know? Do you want to know a, a fact about Clue that I I only learned while researching this this little snippet? Uh, sure. Uh, it's good because if you said no, I'd have been like really dejected. Um, well, the only reason I might have said no is, do you want to save it for when we inevitably do this film at some point? Ooh, oh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to say it, and then we can talk about it again in season six. <laughs> Great. Um. A fourth ending was filmed, um, but uh, Lynn removed it because he later said it wa- it really wasn't very good. <laughs> I-, I looked at it and I thought, no, 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 we've got to get rid of that. <laughs> hmm. uh, in the unused fourth ending, Wadsworth committed all the murders. He was motivated by his desire for perfection. Having failed to either be the perfect husband or perfect butler, he decided to be the perfect murderer instead. Wadsworth reports that he poisoned the champagne the guests had drunk earlier so they would soon die, leaving no witnesses. The police and the FBI arrive and Wadsworth is arrested. He breaks free and steals a police car, but his escape is thwarted when three police dogs lunge from the back seat and kill him. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, I can sort of see why they dropped that one. <laughs> mm. It's nice when the director's sometimes like, mm, no. <laughs> not, not having any of that. I'd like to see it though. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's interesting that it's filmed, so it must exist somewhere, probably in a fucking salt mine. That's where they usually put the stuff mm. in a salt mine or burned down in one of those terrible um, celluloid fires. <laughs> yeah, it's because of those nice dry, salty conditions. Yeah. Um. I I think that's sufficient. We 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 can talk. We can do the podcast now if you like. All right, let's let's do this next bit then. I guess. Yeah. Um. I I will review your answer from last time. Okay. <laughs> if you were seeing this for the first time, who do you think is the murderer and how done it? And uh, you're still sticking with Linda Knife, um, mm. which sounds like a, a band the kids are all listening to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all the arguments that have been presented for everyone else are too weak for doing a murder, and we don't know anything about Linda's motive. Yes. And um, I don't think we ever do learn. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that there just isn't one, but we're yeah. made to think that maybe there is. Yeah, the, the, mo- the movie will not explore Linda in any great detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens next? We'll see what appears to be the true story of what happens. A mix-up with the medicines. Marta can't find the medicine to reverse the mix-up. Harlan's death is inevitable, so he'll come up with a plan to get Marta out of this mix-up. Very good. I award you six points. Write that down, listeners. So now we've got that out of the way. Um, (laughs) Like something unpleasant. Uh, (laughs) we, We move on to the part of the episode where we talk about the thing and we're gonna be we're gonna be watching minutes 32 to 40 of knives out so let's let's do that let's let's do it let's do it blank says he wanted to talk to marta last because he wanted a clear picture of the night first 
Hmm. Yeah, and we get the sense that he is particularly interested in this conversation for reasons that aren't immediately apparent, but it's intriguing. Hmm. Um, Blunk asks her, with as much detail as possible, to tell them what happened in the last half hour Harlan was alive. He flicks a coin into the air, and as it spins, we get a flashback. Uh, the coin he's flipping here is a 1901 US Morgan silver dollar. They were made of 90% silver, so most of them got melted down during World War I to help fund the war effort. Depending on the condition, they can sell for thousands of dollars. <laughs> of course it's something old-timey. <laughs> yeah, of course it's another, another lunatic affectation for Blanc. <laughs> Ryan Johnson says that when he first had the idea for Knives Out 10 years before it was made, that this was the core of the idea. What if you start with a traditional whodunit, then 30 minutes in you do the Columbo thing of just showing you who the murderer is? <laughs> mm. it's, it's good. I mean, uh, we were talking about this just before we recorded, and I, I was like, I remember being disappointed in the theater when it they just bald-facedly were like, this is the murderer, who did the murder, there's the murder. And I was like, oh. Oh, it's it's not a whodunit. It's a how how catch him. Um. <laughs> well, I I think I was momentarily disappointed until realizing like there's like an hour of film left. They've got to be going somewhere with this. Yeah, there is more to this, uh, yeah. but I I didn't put that together quite immediately. I was like, oh, this is a bit strange, and then. Mm time ticked on and I was like wait a minute though <laughs> mm. uh, writers subtext cowards etc 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 Marta leads a singing playful Harlan upstairs he doesn't want to go into his bedroom but goes up to the attic office mm. he refuses to take his medicine until they play go together a nightly tradition that he's not going to break on his birthday this whole uh conversation between them from the going up to the attic and, mm. and this bit feels like it might be it feels it has i don't know whether it is but it has a sort of half improvisational feel to it, mm. it, it or at least it's really kind of believable sort of banter between people who've known each other for a long time and yeah yeah little in jokes and ways that they talk to each other Exactly. They're, they're talking like friends do. This isn't like a, a nurse helping an elderly patient to bed. Yeah. This is a friend of Harlan's who also happens to have to administer medicine to him. Right. <laughs> like, um, she she threatens him a couple of times, which is really funny to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, he, he says, you can't force that vile shit on me. It's elder abuse. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um. Uh, Ryan Johnson plays Go with Steve Yedlin, the director of photography, and says it's the only game he can occasionally beat him at. <laughs> oh man, I should have looked up what Go is and put it in here. That would have been that would have been real like a competent podcastsman would have done that. Let's I tell you what, let, let's let's not correct that obvious and glaring error, but instead between us, Peter, we'll work out what Go is from first principles. Uh yeah, well I I, I feel like I have uh, something of an advantage in that I, I sort of know. Yeah, it's it's a board game, right? Yeah. Where you've got white and black pieces 
and you're placing them like like in a grid. Yeah, and that's that's it. Yeah, that that's uh, that's what I also know about it. Um, the other thing. I can't yeah, believe but... I didn't look up what Go. <laughs> you, you sort of... Um, it, it's to do with getting territory, mm. the, like, but, which is somehow marked out by the stones that you place. Mm. And uh, you, you, it's about the, the area that you end up with, I think, in, yeah. uh, or, or, or of territory, but I don't know exactly what the rules are. Yeah, and, I... Um, I mean, I have played Go, but so long ago that I yeah. I don't remember the rule specifically. I I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it, um, mm. and let's let's see. It's an abstract strategy board game for two players where the aim is to surround more territory than the opponent. It was invented in China more than two thousand five hundred years ago, and is believed to be the oldest board game continuously played to the present day. Hmm. Uh, the playing pieces are called stones. One player uses the white stones and the other black. The players take turns placing stones on the vacant intersection points of the board. Once placed on the board, stones may not be moved, but stones are removed from the board if a stone or group of stones is surrounded by opposing stones on all orthogonally adjacent points, in which case the stone is captured. Um, the game proceeds until neither player wishes to make another move. (laughs) Here's, uh... (laughs) And here's another thing that I know about Go is that I I feel like it's supposed to be a really difficult game for computers to figure out how to to play. It's a it's a complex AI problem. Yeah, no, you are absolutely right. That is a thing that uh, even I, a humble person, knew. Um, basically, because it's got so many potential future moves that the problem space is tremendously big to search Mm. um it's i've just scrolled down to the bit about computer go it's got five times the number of spaces as a chessboard 361 versus 64 Mm. um to exhaustively calculate the next eight moves it would require calculating 512 quintillion possible combinations (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's because Go is a zero-sum, perfect information, partisan, deterministic strategy game. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and why did they just call it that? Yeah. If I if I hadn't hesitated on the word partisan, um, then uh, that would have sounded like I might have known that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember quite recently they came up with a machine that can play Go and beat human players, and it was like revolutionary because it was the first time. It's ever happened. Uh, yeah, Google DeepMind's program AlphaGo, um, and now they have Alpha, AlphaGo Zero, which is um, even better than previous. But like up until that point, it was sort of considered that maybe Go wasn't beatable. Like a computer couldn't beat a person at it. Kieran, as someone who knows a thing or two about computers and programming and stuff, would you say this is a sort of a problem that a quantum computer might help with? Oh, uh, like, yes. Yes, I would. I would say that. Mm. However, I, I add the um, the little caveat there that uh, if anyone ever tells you they understand what quantum computing is, they're a liar and you shouldn't trust them. <laughs> well, that goes for quantum anything. Yes. <laughs> um, as I understand quantum computing and, like, I am probably 100% wrong so don't fucking quote me on this or anything um you rather than 
as is traditionally done with computers, you calculate states one at a time, or potential states one at a time. In quantum computing, you have a superposition of all of the possible outcomes at once, Mm -hmm. and then you just grab the best one, the one that you're looking for out of that set. Yeah. Um, How you figure that out? I don't know, that's above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) You probably need to know some maths or shit to do that. Oh, Jesus. I know it involves qubits, which are quantum bits. Mm, It's a Um, good word. It is. (laughs) Um, And that we don't have very many qubits at the moment. Um, Yes. This this podcast goes places, doesn't it? I mean, like, we, we were talking... Uh, about an elderly man singing a song ten minutes ago, and now we're on quantum information exchange. We uh, don't say that you don't get value for your time invested in this. Yeah, <laughs> you, you do. Na- na- yeah. Name an, name another movie podcast that haltingly explains quantum computing to you. You know, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, but you um, you're right. Uh, they don't have many qubits at the moment. Uh, in fact, there's only um, uh, there's only one qubit at the moment, and it, it's on holiday. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone left it on a bus, and now, uh... oh god. Um, <laughs> uh, well, we 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 should play Go together, Peter, and uh, yeah. and that we we can do it for the Patreon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can pretend we know something every week. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thank thanks to Wikipedia, you can be an expert in anything in only two minutes. <laughs> All, all you need to sound authoritative on a podcast is uh, Wikipedia and uh, and uh, present microphone presence. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we stumbled into this digression, isn't it? Because we were saying earlier that there's not really very much to say about this episode. Yeah, they, we were saying <laughs> this, this episode might be a short one. Yeah. Uh, and spoilers, it's not. <laughs> it, it's a really interesting plot development, but there's not a whole lot about the film itself to, to, yeah. to talk about it just sort of all gets laid out yeah we just sit there quietly and watch it and go that was that was good <laughs> marta puts the medicine down on the side of the go board and they trash talk each other as they start to play harlan laments that he can never beat her and she says she's not playing to win but she's just trying to make pretty patterns this is foreshadowing the ending peter mm. Marta wins, not by playing the game the way she's supposed to, but by playing it her way. Mm, I never thought of it that way, but Mm. I suppose that's right. Neither did I until the director said. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As Harlan starts to lose, he says he's hoping for an earthquake, the only thing that can save him now, which arrives in the form of him jiggling his leg and knocking the go go board onto the floor, laughing. And indeed, we do get the wrong sort of bang here. It's, it doesn't yes. sound like the right sort of bang, and I noticed that first time, and I was very pleased with myself. Like, yeah, it's 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 just sort of like a gentle as it hits the floor. It's yeah. it's only it's a it's a wooden board. It's not like a cardboard board. Yeah, um, cardboard board. Um, sorry, I derailed my brain. Um, but yeah, we def it's definitely not the same loud noise we heard in the in the previous flashback. Mm. Mm. Uh, Marta calls Harlan a sore loser and picks up the medicines from the floor she injects him with the medicine and asks how he felt about the night 
Uh, Anna de Armas was trained by a nurse in how to administer these medicines. And um, they're all the correct steps she's following. Like she does a little saline flush beforehand and all this kind of stuff that's uh, just real, just real medicine administration stuff. Neat. I suppose you never really think about how much work goes into making someone who is an actor seem like they know what they're doing. Yeah, yes, I, I look like I'm, I'm, I've administered these these injectable medicines all my life. Mm. Harlan says it wasn't easy doing it, but he cut the line on all four of them. He says that everything he gave his family was maybe just to keep them beneath him, like subconsciously. Mm. He says he should have encouraged Walt to write his own books, been a father, not a provider to Joni, and been kinder to Linda and Ransom. He says there's so much of him in Ransom. Confident, stupid, protected, playing life like a game without consequences, until you don't know the difference between a stage prop knife and a real one. I wonder whether this will in some way be significant later. Uh, I, I wrote foreshadowing in my notes here, and then I underlined it. And uh, I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of this line at all. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. It's it's, it's too much for me. It's going, it's going too far because it's like, it's, in hindsight, I suppose it's a little <laughs> bit on the nose. But it, it, like, wow, it also does feel sort of in keeping with the sort of things that I feel like that character would say. So okay, plus, plus also. Uh, in an act endearing him to me, I guess Harlan is just playing with a knife throughout this whole sequence. Is indeed uh, playing with a real knife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just think that this line gets a bit mixed up in people's heads because Harlan is talking metaphorically, like mm. he doesn't know the difference between a uh, a stage prop knife and a real one. Mm. But I think a lot of people take it as like. Uh, he literally does not <laughs> does yeah. not know the difference. I suppose uh, I, I suppose I can allow it as a kind of metaphor though, because like he's he's looking at that knife as he says mm. it. He's the sort of person who thinks about this sort of thing. Because yeah, he's a murder mystery writer. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that whole kind of wheel of knives downstairs. Yeah, yeah. like um, yeah. Uh, so it 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 feels like plausible as a kind of flowery metaphor that he might mm. have come up with yeah. while looking at a knife on the spot. Sure. It is a bit on the nose, but I, but I don't mind it. And uh, i got another note. Harlan stabs his knife into the table here, which Marta doesn't react to at all. Like he's always up to shit like this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally, he literally stabs a knife into a nice wooden table and just looks <laughs> at it a bit. And I, I, she, she does not even, doesn't face her at all. I'm just like, oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought of that. Yeah. Har- Harlan must be unfucking bearable. <laughs> <laughs> Marta offers him drugs, a little morphine, to help him sleep. As she goes to fill the syringe, she notices with horror that she's mixed up the vials. She's given him 100 milligrams of morphine instead of Ketolac. She explains to Harlan that the usual dose should be 3 milligrams. <laughs> to, to which she says, oh, that's much less. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a great line. <laughs> he said, How does it go exactly? He says, uh, what, what's the good stuff's usual dosage? And she says, uh, you gave me a hundred milligrams. It should be three, and she's, he's like, "Yes, that's much less." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this uh, this was a difficult bit of the plot to write because Ryan needed something convincing enough that the audience would think that Marta had made an error and killed Harlan, but which could also be undone at the end of the movie. Mm. He said he had loads of complicated ways to solve it, uh, but coming up with a simple one was the real challenge. Yeah. This um, sort of makes me think of writing puzzles for adventure games. <laughs> mm. But you know, you've got... You've got to come up with something uh, that's simple enough to get across to other people, uh, but clever enough that it won't get the first pass. Yeah, well, um, Tim Schafer just described the process of uh, writing those puzzles as you, well, you, first of all, you, uh, you, you present the problem and then you present and obvious way of solving that problem uh and have that not work <laughs> and uh and then you kind of figure out what the solution is actually going to be from there <laughs> uh funny enough i was watching a youtube video the other day about um adventure game puzzles that really pissed people off <laughs> because they were they were out of um out of what was expected for the rest of the game and there's, there was one for Broken Sword. Do you ever play Broken Sword? <laughs> I think I've seen this video, but yeah, yeah. go on. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, there's, there's there's one puzzle infamously called the Goat Puzzle, where a um, a, a goat attacks you while you're trying to get into a hatch. And um, it's the only puzzle in the game that relies on specific timing, because like, the goat attacks you, and then while it's going back to where it was before it attacked you, you have to run and do a thing. Um which, like, because it was the only timing puzzle, nobody clocked onto at all. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to like make it not a timing puzzle in the re-release. <laughs> yeah, I always remember hearing. I think it was in Gabriel Knight Three or something like that. There was this puzzle where you have to describe uh, describe you have to disguise yourself uh, <laughs> as uh, someone, and the way that you dis- uh, disguise yourself as someone is. Uh, by making a fake mustache uh, <laughs> and you make it by grabbing some hairs off of a cat or something like that mm. and then gluing them to your face with some honey <laughs> uh, and and uh, the real kicker for this puzzle is that the person you're dis- disguising yourself as does not have a mustache <laughs> <laughs> of course of course absolutely <laughs> Uh, I never played that one, but I have played some uh, adventure games with real, real bad puzzle logic in <laughs> yeah. them. I think for the most part, the LucasArts ones avoid that, but there are some weird moments. Yeah, I mean, um, the 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 two that I'm thinking of specifically are ones from Full Throttle that are a bit meh, mm. um, where you... Uh, <laughs> Again, in one of the weird engine swap bits of the game where you're playing um, like a demolition derby game and like you to defeat one of your enemies, you have to kind of like jump your car over a ramp on top of their car, which really isn't clear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not very obvious what you have to do there. I remember always getting stuck on that bit as well. And uh, there's, there's another bit where you're trying to find the back entrance into a factory um, and it involves kicking a wall at a specific point <laughs> while like when these 
counters are all in the are all aligned with each other. It's really interesting that that the puzzles you remember are the ones which were which had irritating solutions. <laughs> uh, and I think it gives people a weird view of these <laughs> games as well because most of the puzzles are, are fine yeah, actually. Yeah. Most of them make sense and they're logical. And then there's like the the, the couple of percent of puzzles in the game that are a l- little bit tricky or don't quite work. Mm. Uh, and then people just remember that as the whole genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You 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 just end up remembering the bad puzzles, uh, or the the ludicrous puzzles, and those are the ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I do love Full Throttle. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll cover that in season twelve. Um, mm. Harlan asks what happens now, and Marta, frantically looking through a medical bag, says she has to give him an emergency shot of naloxone so he won't die in ten minutes. So, uh, so no pressure then, he says. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, Naloxone, also known as Narcan, is an opioid antagonist which negates the effects of opioid drugs like morphine. You've got nothing to say to that? Not really. That 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 makes sense. Okay. okay good. <laughs> I, I sorry, I didn't really have a comment for that one. <laughs> Just like a reaction of any kind. <laughs> um... No, I'm trying to cut down on my reactions. <laughs> I, w- I will go back and find a better one. <laughs> you know I've done it before. Here, let me give you three different reactions and you can uh, decide which one you like most. I'm just leaving this in now. <laughs> uh, you, you can have, oh, or, hmm, or, ooh. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take everything you say for the remainder of the podcast and just cut all three of those over it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to turn you into sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> right. So I mean, I don't need to record any more of these. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Harlan seems remarkably relaxed, and well, probably the morphine, and starts writing this down in his notebook as a remarkably efficient way of murder, saying, "If someone switched the meds on purpose, I'd be dead in ten minutes." But of course, uh, he hasn't had any morphine, has he? Oh, oh, gasp! Are we are we giving the game away that quickly? I, I, I think we are. Yeah, yeah. Spoilery podcast. It is. It is. So, um, I, I, it didn't really occur to me until sort of like halfway through the movie how coherent Harlan is for someone who's just had a massive morphine overdose. Yeah, it did. It did make me think. I mean, it, does someone who's had that overdose just kind of wait ten minutes and then die suddenly, or, or or are there effects that are apparent before then? But I guess <laughs> in, in your panic state, you're not really thinking about that. Yeah, no. Well, what, what actually happens is you drift away on a pleasurable cloud, mm. more or less immediately. Mm. So, um... <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's he's very relaxed, and in uh, hindsight, I suppose it's clear that he's already working out how the killer gets out of it in his head, the way that he's talking. Uh, The house is so far out of town that an ambulance wouldn't arrive in time. Mm. Uh, They should have just called for the ambulance immediately, and Marta, a trained nurse, should have supported Harlan with CPR until it arrived and they could have administered naloxone. Um, (laughs) Sorry sorry to spoil the movie. I mean, yeah. he, he might have died, but like the big problem with morphine overdoses, as I, I googled, is uh, respiratory arrest, so you just stop breathing. Mm. So if someone breathes for you for, you know, 
the five minutes, the extra five minutes it'll take for the ambulance to arrive. Hmm. Could have saved his life, Peter. Oh, well. Marta desperately throws her medical bag contents on the floor, crying, unable to find the naloxone. She doesn't understand why it's not there, because it comes with the morphine kit. I wonder whether this detail will be important <laughs> later. This foreshadowing! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should ding every time someone says foreshadowing, but, like, you know, for the first 45 minutes of this movie... <laughs> We'd be dinging like crazy. <laughs> uh, Harlan's face softens as he asks her if she has it, and she runs for the phone to call an ambulance. There's definite sympathy here because he's been kind of weird and weirdly casual about it now, but now mm. that it's becoming a bit real, he's like, oh, actually, there are serious consequences here. Yeah. Uh, my my notes are uh, uh, lots of little expressions cross Harlan's face here as he thinks about what's happening, what he's going to do, and he makes peace with it. Mm. Um, I was gonna remember how Walt said that the ideas just came to him fully formed. Right. I think he's just cracked the whole thing in his head. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just another example of what an excellent actor Christopher Plummer is, that he can get across all this sort of n- non-verbal information mm. on on his face. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's it's really good. It's it's very um very subtle piece of mm. work, I think. Yeah, I, I I don't think I picked up on it the first time, but like you can see that he's really sorting something out in his head when he does it. Yeah. I wonder if Harlan would have been so willing to just give up his life if he hadn't spent the evening clearing house with his family. Yeah, he's probably thinking oh, he's done enough to make enough of what he wanted to happen for his legacy or whatever happened. Yeah, all, all of his affairs are in order. What a perfect time to wrap everything up. I mean, you know, it's an accident, but... He probably even thinks that it is quite a good way to go in context of the sort of person he is and the life yeah. he's led. In Serendipitous a timing. Yeah, he, di- he dies on his birthday, like Shakespeare did. <laughs> It, there's definitely a part of him here thinking that if I go this way, it makes for a great story. Yeah. Um, uh, as um, Blanc says later in the movie, Harlan was a drama mama. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder whether he's even thinking, whether he's even smart enough to thinking uh, to think there's more to this story. Maybe he's even clocked onto the fact that she can't find the antidote mm. and that's suspicious. Yeah. And he's thinking, actually, my affairs are in order. Maybe now's good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a, a selfish part of him that is thinking that. I don't know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, also, he has been having morphine like for some time, as he said now. So surely he'd notice that a hundred milligrams of morphine doesn't feel anything like three milligrams, right? You, I mean, I, I'm no morphine user myself, Peter. You understand, but I, I'd, I'd expect that if I was accustomed to three milligrams of like euphoric pain relief, a hundred milligrams would hit like a fucking freight train, <laughs> right? Yeah. So maybe, maybe he really is thinking. Okay, if I can think. It's very reckless, but if he's thinking, if I can think of a way to get Marta out of this, maybe this is my moment. <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly reckless, but if he's as much like 
ransom as he seems to think he mm. is. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Harlan hangs up the phone by pressing down on the cradle. Oh, very dramatic. Like, uh, I was I was lamenting this the other day with like mobile phones and stuff. There's no way of dramatically hanging up. No. Really swipe, swipe your thing to the right. Well, I mean, there is, but it obliterates the phone as well, which, <laughs> which is not uh, satisfactory. Yeah, it's not quite the same if you dash your phone to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does end the call, but also the phone. And yes. phones are expensive. Don't throw your phones, kids. And it's the, the moment's got a whole, uh, very much uh, my mind's made up. This is all for the yeah. best sort of energy in the same way that he acted towards his uh various beneficiaries yeah. earlier yeah i didn't think about that but he 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 is when like we've seen it from his kids in the conversation he had earlier but when his mind is make it made up for something you can't change it he's right. very stubborn mm. um marta tries to run for another phone but he trips her so she falls and we see Joni downstairs look up at the ceiling now oh, there's your big noise it's the right there's, sort of bang yeah there's your there's your hashtag foreshadowing resolved and at that point i was a little bit disappointed because i'd already noticed it was the wrong sort of bang before <laughs> and was thinking ah oh, i'm going to remember that was the wrong sort of bang for the whole film so that <laughs> i can say ah, i called it it's the wrong bang that's going to be a really important detail later and then they explain it like 2 minutes <laughs> later yeah there's not a not a lot of time on that on that particular yeah. one Harlan desperately explains to Marta that he's gone and can't be saved, but he has to protect her. Think of your mum. Joni arrives and we see Harlan explain to her that they knocked over the go board while Marta faces away, weeping. This is why she was facing away in Joni's memories. Do you remember earlier I said she's doing something weird, standing in the corner? It's because she's doing a cry. Yeah, and now we get to see that from the other direction. Yeah, hashtag unreliable narrators. Ryan Johnson says this whole scene is one of the few which was rehearsed. Uh, All three of them got together in a hotel room and went through the whole thing, mostly so they could figure out the blocking rather than what they were actually going to say. Yeah, the few times I've done little staged things, figuring out where people are going to be in relation to each other and the camera uh, in a way that it's not going to interfere with anything is mm. one of the the hardest bits of the whole thing particularly if you're going to uh then replay this several times in flashbacks and make it all seem natural <laughs> yeah harlan dismisses Joni as quickly as possible and says to marta your mum is still undocumented and that's where we end middle of a sentence eight minutes over oh yeah uh, not panning out great for Knives Out, but okay. <laughs> we we nearly made it to a yeah. kind of clean, nice bit of plot development, and then on mm. to the next bit, but not quite. We're still in the middle of a sentence. Never um, mind. But we but we have learned that Marta's mother is a is an illegal immigrant, an undocumented one. Mm. Uh, so I, I wonder how that will pan out in the next episode. Well, we'll find out, won't we? We'll we already find know. Out. We've seen. We've seen. Yeah, I mean, we know, <laughs> yeah. and you but, know because and... you've watched this film before listening to this podcast, haven't you? Uh, it's it's going to turn out all right in the end. <laughs> so, yeah. 
sorry, I was I was just trying to imbue the next episode with some some interest, trying to make the listener come back. But uh, I think at this point they're either committed to our nonsense or <laughs> or it's too late. Oh, they'll be back. <laughs> they'll be back. Peter. If you were seeing this for the first time, who do you think is the murderer and how did they done it? Okay, well, at this point... <laughs> is I this going to think... change your opinion? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't think at this point it's a murder necessarily, uh, but it was an accidental killing by Mordecupuel. You can't you can't say it in that voice. I don't think we've I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast how how Benoit Blanc's pronunciation of Marta Cabrera drove me into a state of madness. I think we have. Did we? I can't remember. Yeah, I think we've covered that. Yeah. Basically, just in case, um uh, for some reason that bit just got stuck in my brain where he says Marta Cabrera. And it kept getting more and more iterations away from Benoit Blanc's actual accent, so it started to sound like the fucking Homestar Runner. Yeah. Murder Murder What do you think happens next? Uh, I think now... Uh, Harlan is going to go into a detailed explanation as to exactly how um, Marta is going to get away with this. And we're going to see her doing some of these steps as he explains it as well. Uh, so she's going to be carrying out the steps of getting away with it while he's explaining it uh, to her. And we're probably going to get to the end of that bit as well. And we're going to see her explain to Benoit what she has to say during the interview in order to omit certain details so that she doesn't have to lie. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's succinct. I think I think that's a I think that's a good explanation. I. I like that thing that movies do sometimes where um when they're when they're forming a plan, mm. a character will be like, Well, we gotta we gotta steal casino croupier uniforms to get into the vault. And like as he's saying it, you see it happening on the screen. So they don't have to spell out the plan and then do the plan. I like that. I don't know if there's a word for that. Uh, I feel like I've heard a phrase for it, but I can't remember what it is, so I'm useless in this situation. And also, indeed many others. <laughs> uh, I, the only one I can think of at the moment uh, is it's not quite the same thing, but it's when someone is narrating a flashback, because I remember a good one of those in A Touch of Cloth. I don't know what you <laughs> thought about touch of cloth before where we, we should do a series on a touch of cloth <laughs> <laughs> where someone's talking about uh, arriving at the scene of a crime and um is also helping out herself as she narrates <laughs> and the, the person that, that in the flashback that she's narrating to is 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 helping her with how to open a door. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, it's a pull door. <laughs> no, it's a pull door. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's uh, it's a very silly show. <laughs> I think we might have mentioned it before. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we haven't, then we must. <laughs> mm. Yeah, uh, listeners, if if you know what the word is for that bit in the heist movie where they're doing a plan and also showing you them doing the plan at the same time, then um then write in and tell us what that is. Uh, I'm going to say it's in medias res, which it definitely isn't. That it's means not, something entirely no. different. <laughs> uh, I believe it's called We Needed to uh, Cut Five Minutes Out of This Film. <laughs> the movie was running ten minutes too long. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's, it's nice, though. I mean, because it's like, it, it's respecting the viewer's time, isn't it, in a way that we definitely don't do with this podcast. Like, mm. they are showing you, they are going to tell, say the thing that's going to happen, but it's also just going to happen so that we can skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, it's. It, I like it as a device, and it, you can also play with it a bit because you can have things that happen uh, that are not the same as the plan, mm. uh, and that can be the cause of uh, comedy or tension, which I think we'll learn in the next episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, just leaves us to say, what are you thinking of the film so far? Uh, well, obviously. I am still very much enjoying it uh, mm. at this stage. Uh, I think we're all a little confused about where it's going at the time that we first saw this, and uh, uh, but not in an unpleasant way necessarily. It's a it's become a wide on it. That's not right. <laughs> it be- it's become. Uh, it's maybe become a Columbo. Yeah, and I feel like consider- considering how much I like. Columbo in general, and how much I have so far enjoyed the character of Benoit Blanc. I was comfortable with the idea. Okay, maybe this could be a Columbo, mm. although it's a weird sort of Columbo where we, where the person who is trying to get away with it is actually not a terrible rich person, and so we want them to get away with it. There, there are a couple of Columbos where the person has motives that uh, are fractionally more altruistic, I guess, than usual. Mm, but not uh, many. No, there, there are a couple of Columbos where the murderer can be painted in a semi-sympathetic light, but they still did a murder. Right, but remember, Marta hasn't done a murder. She's no. just committed medical negligence that's led to manslaughter. <laughs> mm. um, don't know what do you get for manslaughter in America? Um, firing squad. Uh, it's. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Americans. <laughs> it's a slap on the wrist. I think um, <laughs> you get your, you get one of your favorite guns taken away. Um, mm. oh. <laughs> Um, oh boy um listeners uh if you have any questions or comments about the podcast you can email us at podcast at eight minute movies.co.uk we read all the emails that arrive even the spam ones um if you if you like the show if you're enjoying it what you should do is tell a friend or leave a comment in the place where you absorb this podcast uh, like on Apple Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Facebook Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or Deezer Podcasts. And listen, or, or, if you if you like this podcast, 
You should hear other podcasts. They're great. No, no, no. If you if this is the only podcast you listen to, do not listen to other podcasts. Do not become aware of the existence of better podcasts than this one. This, this a- podcast, this podcast is a C tier podcast, and I'm 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 judging it, you know, with with bias. Do not do not become aware of the existence of better podcasts. I am, of course, being self-deprecating. I think we do a fine job here, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, with that in mind, um, yeah, write about how great we are. If you if you were going to write how you don't like the podcast, simply do not do that. <laughs> yeah, just forget the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Cut your losses. <laughs> um, simply just get a hot needle and poke it into your ears so you can't no, listen to it. No, 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 never, no. <laughs> oh, You've no. gone too far again, Kieran. Oh, I've got to rate this podcast mature again. <laughs> I have to rate it mature because we say fuck. <laughs> mm. I think you said it within the first few seconds of this uh, one. Yeah, and... um. I I might have edited it out. So, th- <laughs> mm. oh dear, never mind. Um, okay, well, I can be found on the internet at Kieran J Walsh. He can be found on the internet at Kestrel Pie. That's Kestrel like the pie and bird like the animal. You've completely fucked that up. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. I, this is why I say it. I'm sorry. I, th- I thought I thought I could save you some time and energy. You know, I thought I'd be a nice. I thought I'd be a nice host. Kestrel like the pie and bird like the animal. What does that even mean, Kieran? Well, I I think I got ahead of myself. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I tried. I'm sorry. I tried. Say say sorry, not to me, to the listener. I'm 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 sorry, listener. I did I did try. I did I didn't practice it. It was just spur of the moment, and it won't happen again. All right. And who are you going to let say it next time? I'm go- I'm going to let Peter say it next time. That's good. That's right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>